0: This is the look ahead on VSN, the sports betting network.
1: It is our number two of the look at right here on VSN, the sports betting network. Greg Peterson holding it down for Scott Seidenberg, who you were able to see on the nightcap earlier tonight and did a terrific job there. Now it's my time. Now it's my turn to fill in and try to do as terrific as I can on this show and. Well, when it comes to what I've been doing over there over there at DK Nation, I know that a lot of you guys have been following these plays on my Twitter feed, at JarenSquirty1. I beam these out every single day, and they let me write up one every single day. And thus far, I've been doing it for four weeks. It's been going relatively solid, so we're going to look to keep it going. We wound up having a winner out there on Tuesday in the SEC with the over in Arkansas versus Florida. So we're going to go with another SEC total here today. What I want to brighten up for them is this LSU versus Kentucky game. This is going to be a game which you're going to be finding LSU anywhere between a 7 to 7.5 point underdog. And right now we're seeing the total right around a 142 in a lot of spots. This is 737, 738 on the betting board and when it comes to the spot. I did mind saying Kentucky as a 7.5 point favorite if you're seeing 7, which I'm seeing mostly 7s out there right now. I'm going to be willing to lay with Kentucky. I do think that it's a relatively fair line, but I do think that Kentucky going to be able to pull it out at the end with their free throw shooting. Now, you do want to note that Kentucky, they're probably going to be a little bit banged up in this spot because Ty Ty Washington, Xavier Wheeler, they did not wind up playing in that game against Alabama. And I think that there's a good chance that you might wind up seeing one, if not both guys, wind up playing in this game. But they're going to be far from 100%. We've seen Ty Ty Washington when he hasn't been 100%, has been relatively pedestrian whenever he's wound up taking the floor. So I do think that that is something that is important to take note of. But... What I did wind up writing up for DK Nation. We're gonna be taking a look at the under. I want to sing my total at 135 and a half. You've got an LSU team that has been absolutely amazing with regards to the way that they've been able to hold up defensively. Number two in the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. Now, this is a Kentucky team that they've been very good on offense. With regards to points scored on a per possession basis, you're finding them number six in all of college basketball. And when they're at home at Rupp Arena, this winds up going to number four. The only teams that have been able to score more points on a per-possession basis at home this season, that'd be Vermont, who, if you haven't taken a look at Vermont, this is a team that they literally play at a bottom 50 pace in terms of possessions per game, and yet they average like 80 points per game in conference. It's insane, but you've got them, you got Purdue, and you got Gonzaga. That's the end of the list right there. So I do think that, you're going to be able to have Kentucky do a relatively solid job, but their one game that they wanted to play without both Wheeler along with Ty Ty Washington. That was against Alabama, and Alabama's just not stopping anyone right now, so I do take that with a little bit more of a grain of salt. I do think that LSU, with having Terry Easton down low, with having Darius Days, pair of guys that combined for 27 points, a pair of guys that are able to give you right around 12 to 13 rebounds per game, they're going to be able to do a solid job with that aspect. And what else is very big for LSU is that This team is number one in all of college basketball with regards to seals per game and the way that they've been able to generate those. They're able to generate a seal on 15.5% of possessions. There's no other team in college basketball that generates one on at least 14% of possessions. So I do think that that's going to be really important, especially if you are going to be seeing Kentucky deal with a little bit of a banged-up Xavier Wheeler, coupled with Ty Ty Washington. And then when it comes to LSU, they themselves, I think, are going to be able to do an okay job on the glass, but having to go up against Oscar Shibway, guy that's say, will give you 15 rebounds per game. He leads all of college basketball with that aspect. You do have a guy in Shibway who's been a little bit more dominant when it comes to the offensive side of things with regards to the glass. Does give you a block and after contest. Has been able to do a terrific job with that aspect. So I do think that they're going to see a lot of one-and-done possessions in this one. LSU, not necessarily the best team with regards to allowing... Teams getting a second and third chance on their misses as well. So, I do think that there's going to be some second chance points for Kentucky, but I think that's going to be a case in which both teams are going to be held down from the three point arc. LSU is a team that is going shoot right around 32.5% from three point range. Having Xavier pins it out there, certainly going to be able to help them, but I do mind up saying Kentucky as a seven and a half point favorite. And I think that you've got all the reasons in the world to think that we're going to get a nice big giant turtle race. Keep in mind, first time these two teams went up playing. It was 65-60. to I don't think it's necessarily going to be quite that low, but I think you're going to see a pair of teams have a tough time being able to put the biscuit in the basket. I wound up giving out the under for DK Nation, and I'm willing to it to 7.5 here when it comes to Kentucky. And when it comes to the SEC, you are going to be seeing some relatively quality basketball on Wednesday. What I think is going to be really intriguing is this Mississippi State versus South Carolina game as well. 663, 664. This is going to be the earliest of the SEC games, and you've got Mississippi State finding themselves as a very slight road favorite. Find them anywhere between one and a half and two point favorites, and your total anywhere between 138 and and 139. And when it comes to Mississippi State, I did wind up saying them as a four point favorite. Mississippi State's been able to get some good contributions down low. Tolu Smith, along with Garrison Brooks, are able to combine for right around 23 points per game, and they offer a little bit of something different. Brooks has been able to utilize his versatility and shoot right in the neighbor about 35-ish percent from three-point range. Meanwhile, Toley Smith he has yet to be able to extend his range. He's a guy that is really going to be able to hold things down, down low. Now when it comes to Mississippi State, they do have Iverson Molinaro. I think he's going to do a good job of being able to pull out the ball, 18 points per game, a little bit over three assists per contest. And the big thing for South Carolina is that for one, when it comes to going down low, they've only got one guy that's able to give you more than five rebounds per game. That was, Wayne's Levique, he's able to give you right around 5.2 boards per game, so I think that they're going to get bludgeoned with that aspect. And for two, South Carolina turned the ball over 15 times per game. Now, you do have to recognize that South Carolina is a little bit more of an up and po team. They do rank in the top 50 with regards to total possessions per game, but still a little bit inexplicable. You do have a guy in Keyshawn Bryant who last year was able to give the team 14 points, five boards, looked relatively solid. This year, he's been a little bit more of an afterthought, a guy that has only been able to give you more in the neighborhood, about eight and a half points and four or so rebounds. So they haven't necessarily been able to be be as great in that aspect. Now, you do have a Mississippi State team that they're looking to slow things down. This is a team that they rank outside the top 250 with regards to possessions per game. But I do think that it's a case in which South Carolina is just going to be really inefficient that Mississippi State is going to be able to put up plenty of points on the board. You've got a guy in Shaquille Moore. Able will give you right around seven and a half points per game. I do like his overall game, and I do think that it is a case in which South Carolina just not going to be able to get enough out of the backcourt. Eric Stevenson is able to give you 11 and a half points, and to South Carolina's credit, they do generate right around eight steals per contest, so they do have a good job with active hands. But at the same time, I do think that you're going to have a Mississippi State team that just has a little bit more down low. I think that that's going to cause South Carolina to have a really rough go of it here, so. I did wind up saying this as a four-point line. I'm going to be willing to lay with Mississippi State. did wind up making my total 144 as well. So I do think that you're going to get quite a bit of scoring just because of how South Carolina runs their offense, the way that they wind up bumping up the tempo. So I'm looking at it over, and I'm going to be looking at Mississippi State when it comes to this spot. The other big game out there in the SEC, that would be between Ole Miss and Auburn. Auburn, who wound up finding themselves as the number one team in the country a few weeks ago. Certainly don't find themselves that right now. They do find themselves as a massive favorite in this game, as it is 7:31, 7:32. With regards to the rotation numbers, Auburn find themselves anywhere between a 16 to a 16 and a half point favorite with a total between 139 and a half and 140 and a half. When it comes to Ole Miss, this has actually been a halfway decent cover team when it comes to these bigger spreads. And you wind up getting Ole Miss as a favorite slash a very slight underdog, they haven't necessarily been able to come through quite as well there. And when it comes to Auburn. The team has been awesome at home as comparison, in comparison to what you've been able to get from them on the road because it's an Auburn team that whenever they're in the great state of Alabama, they're a team that you want it back. Whenever they're outside the state of Alabama, we've seen their close calls. They very nearly lost to Missouri and Georgia away from home. They did wind up losing that game outright to Florida a few days ago, so that certainly has not necessarily been too terrific for this Auburn team. Auburn, when it comes to conference games, by the way, 9-4-1 against the spread, so... Been able to do a very solid job of being able to cover here in the conference, but I do think that this is going to be a spot in which they are going to have a non-cover because you do have an Ole Miss team that they now have Jarrell Joyner back in the fold, their top scorer guy that's able to give you 15 and a half points per game, shoots in the mid 30s from three point range, and when it comes to Auburn, what they do a terrific job of being able to get block shots. They lead all of college basketball guards blocks per game at 8.2. Nobody else in college basketball gives you more than 6.7, and at home. This expands to 9.9 blocks per game with Locker Kessler giving you over four and a half blocks per game. But that said, I think that it's an Ole Miss team that they're going to look to shoot a little bit more from the outside. You've been able to get a little bit more out of some, like a Matthew Morrell who's been able to give you about 11 to 12 points per game. He's been able to shoot in the mid 30s from three-point range. And Breakfield, more around eight points per contest, but he also shoots in the mid 30s from three-point range. When it comes to the Auburn backcourt, you do have a guy in Wendell Green, though I like who's been able to give you five assists, 12.5 points per game, not necessarily accurate three-point shooter and I feel like you're able to say that for much of this Auburn backcourt like when it comes to Auburn Katie Johnson has been able to give you 12 and a half points per game he's been rock solid, but at the same time not necessarily a guy that's going to be able to take the top off of a defense when it comes to Jabari Smith he is really your best three-point shooter with this Auburn team saying six foot nine six foot ten many people think that there is a possibility that he could be the number one overall pick in the upcoming NBA draft. A guy that's able to give you 17 points, right around seven boards, he's been able to shoot over 40% from three-point range, which has been absolutely exceptional for this team. But I do take a look at it. I do think that this is a little bit too lofty of a line, especially with having nice yearbooks down low for this for this Ole Miss team. When it comes to Ole Miss as well, it's a team in which they do a good job of being able to guard the three-point arc. And Auburn, unlike past teams, they haven't necessarily been able to shoot it well from three-point range. Typically, when you think of a team that is coached by Bruce Pearl, you think that they're going to be playing at a very up-tempo style. You think that they're going to be shooting a whole bunch of threes, and that's not necessarily been the case this year. When it comes to the Auburn bunch, when it comes to Auburn, I do think that they are going to be able to get the job done, and they're going to be able to win this game outright, as they do a very solid job on the glass as well. They do rank in the top 35 with regards to rebound rate, but I do think that Ole Miss going to be able to hold their own. I do think that they're going to be able to make things Relatively interesting with the way that you've got Deshaun Ruffin also giving you right around 2.3 steals per game after he wound up missing the front part of the season. So I did wind up making this a more 15-point line. So going to be willing to take the points. Set my total at 137.5. Auburn in the top 10 with regards to both offensive and defensive efficiency. So looking at the under. Coming up next right here on The Lookout, we're going to be giving you guys a little bit more with regards to the NBA. And that's right here on Vison the Sports Bank Network. wherever you listen. This is The Look Ahead on v the sports betting network. Need more college basketball insights? Check out the podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops. Apparently some guy by the name of Greg Oop Spears so will look at every major and every minor college basketball game on the upcoming schedule to find you betting opportunities. Greg has an opinion on every single college basketball hoops game this season and on this podcast. He provides his unique insights and looks for these games with solid betting opportunities. Download Coast to Coast Hoops now at visa.com slash podcast or view your podcast. And while you're there, catch up on every single VEASAN show as well as it is a look at with myself, Greg Epps And I can tell you right now because I wound up doing the podcast It is a relatively solid one that we've got coming up on this College Basketball Wednesday. I'm going to be going through as many games as I can with regards to College Basketball betting board on this show, but there's a chance that I'm not going to be able to hit every one of them. So when it comes to some of these games in which I know it's really, really salacious and just sizzling teams like Lipscomb-Bellarmine, Liberty versus Florida Gulf Coast, New Hampshire versus the New Jersey Institute of Technology. I've got you covered on every single one of those. And as I always say, it doesn't matter what what you're betting on, whether it be the Super Bowl, whether it be Duke versus North Carolina, whether it be the marquee SEC game of the night, or if it wind up being Charleston Southern versus Presbyterian, money is money now in the Presbyterian versus Charleston Southern game. Now I do have to recognize that your limit is probably going to be a little bit lower on that game, but that said, It is all one of those cases in which a winning ticket is a winning ticket. Never apologize about it. And when it comes to what we're all going to be getting with regards to the NBA moving forward, I do think that it's really interesting to take a look at the Eastern Conference because while I'm taking a look at the Western Conference yesterday, those odds with regards to Futures Board with the Chris Paul injury, making a little bit of an adjustment there. But still, I do think that it's a Suns team that's going to be in relatively solid shape. As we know from the trade deadline, we wound up seeing some seismic moves when it came to the Eastern Conference, specifically with the Philadelphia 76ers along with the Brooklyn Nets. I just felt like the Nets were overvalued to begin with. And now that the Nets have wound up making their moves, you're finding them in very interesting spots right now because when it comes to odds to be able to win the NBA title, you still have the Brooklyn Nets as the top one out there from the Eastern Conference. Overall, you've got the... uh, Phoenix Suns at 4-1. to one. You've got the Warriors at plus 425. And then, according to DraftKings, the Nets are there at plus 475 And all the numbers by DraftKings. And when it comes to conference winner, you're able to find the Brooklyn Nets at plus 230. Even though the 76ers, with regards to odds to be able to win the title itself, are actually the number two team from the Eastern Conference. You've actually got the Milwaukee Bucks, who find themselves at a little bit of shorter odds to be able to win the Eastern Conference. They're at plus 330 and I do find that to be a little bit intriguing and I just don't know if I can buy into this Nets team. I don't know when you're going to be seeing Ben Simmons out there on the floor and what form of Ben Simmons you're going to get. Now, I actually do think that Ben Simmons is a guy that on in the right situation, he's able to be very solid because Ben Simmons is one of the better defenders that we've seen in the NBA in quite some time. He is an elite passer. The one thing that he doesn't do is shoot the ball now you need to have a little bit of an assemblance of shooting. You can't be what Ben Simmons was last year in the postseason, and that's passing up on wide-open layups, being completely scared to go to the free-throw line. They call them free for a reason, so that is a little bit of an issue. But when it comes to his defense, when it comes to the way that he's able to hold the ball, he is absolutely magnificent. And once you wind up getting healthy Kevin Durant, this can actually be a relatively solid Nets punch. I'm actually feeling a little bit more warm on them now than he did before. The big question is, are you going to be able to get Kyrie Irving back for a full allotment of games? I mean, You got to think that the answer is no at this point, but obviously that is out of the hands of the Brooklyn Nets. That's out of the hands of the NBA. That's a local jurisdiction sort of ordeal, but you do take a look at the way that the Brooklyn Nets are set up right now, and I do think that they could have a little bit of success because I mentioned it with the way that Ben Simmons winds up passing the ball. If you find him on a team that As a bunch of guys are able to stroke it from three-point range, it is a case in which things could be relatively solid for them. You know what they have along with everything else. That would be Patty Mills, a guy that overall for his career has been right around 39% three-point shooter, has been able to stroke it at a 42% clip this season. That's a guy that you're able to have Ben Simmons find the ball to. He's able to shoot some threes. That's relatively solid. They also did wind up getting Seth Curry in that trade from the 76ers as well. Guy that's able to give you 15 points per game. Guy that's able to shoot for his career, about 44% from three-point range. So you've got yourself some very good pieces when it comes to this team. Now, when it comes to what you're able to get down low, you don't necessarily have the world's greatest versatility, but even someone like a Kessler Edwards who has come in from Pepperdine and has been a little bit of a godsend for this team. You do have yourself a Nets team that's been able to do a good job of be able to mix and match with some of these guys. Nick Claxton, if he's able to stay fully healthy, he might be able to give this team a couple relatively solid minutes. But the team that I really look at out there in the East, I do think that you've got yourself a little bit of value here on the Miami Heat. With the Miami Heat, if the season were to end today, they would be your number one seed. And the Miami Heat have really been able to do a solid job of be able to form themselves a very solid roster. Now, P.J. Tucker, as we know, is out there mainly for his defense, not necessarily a guy that's going to light it up with regards to a scoring aspect, but... Still, he's been able to do a better job of being able to put the ball in the basket than he did last season, right around 8.5 points, 5.5 boards points per game. That is something that you do like to see. Tyler, he dealing with a little bit of an ailment, but that's not going to be anything that winds up keeping him out for any sort of a lengthy amount of time. And when it comes to what you're able to get of some of the more role players, Duncan Robinson is a guy that is able to shoot it very well from three-point range. Overall, for his career, right around 48 percent I struggled a little bit this year. Shooting more in the neighbor, about 36% from three-point range, but I fully expect him to be firing all cylinders when it comes to the back half of the season, and you wind up seeing it towards the beginning part of the season. He did wind up struggling a little bit in the months of October and November. was shooting right around 32.5% from three. Ever since then, he's been closer to the 40-ish percent three-point shooter that we know him to be. He's been shooting a little bit below that ever since the first two months of the season, but has been pretty darn close now. When it comes to what you're able to get down low out of this Miami Heat team, I feel like you're able to feel very secure about Bam Adebayo and all the production that he's been able to provide. You've got yourself a guy in Jimmy Butler, who I just think that he always finds himself to be himself to be a little bit undervalued because, I mean, along with what you're able to get on the set sheet, and what you're able to get on the set sheet is very good. Nearly 22 points, six half boards, 6 assists per game. He just provides that edge. And he provides a lot of... I'm trying to find the correct word for it. Just vitriol. I mean, maybe not vitriol, but he provides the team just a lot of intensity. He always brings it every single game. You know that this guy is going to go a full 110% every single time he's out there on the floor. I think that there is a little bit of value in that. Being able to elevate the play of some of the other guys out there on the floor. I think that that that's very big. You also are finding the Bulls tied number one with regards to Eastern Conference standings. I do have my question marks there just because you are having a couple of injuries for this team. Lonzo Ball certainly does come to mind for this bunch. Now, he's going to be good to go when the postseason winds up rolling around. But with this Chicago Bulls team, you do have a relatively young team that hasn't been to the postseason quite some time. You've got a lot of guys that they don't necessarily have that playoff experience. I do think that when it comes to being able to make a deep run in the postseason, you do need to have taken your lumps a little bit more. Now, they do have a lot of guys that are sort of in that age Of being able to bust through here, and they do have a guy in DeBarn DeRozan that he knows all about playing in the postseason. He did so for very many years with the Toronto Raptors, was able to win a title while he was with the Toronto Raptors as well. Or he wound up having himself a relatively solid run while he was with the Raptors. Obviously, was a part of the trade that sent him to the Spurs a few seasons ago. So. That want to costing him a little bit, but and he's really been able to come up clutch in a lot of scenarios this season. That's going to be able to help this team out a little bit. I just do fear that you do have yourself a team that they've been able to rise up quite a bit, but they do wind up getting to the postseason. Maybe the moment is a little bit too big for them. You're going to be relying a lot on Nikolai Vucevic, in my opinion, who has been able to do a solid job all season long, 18 points, half rebounds. Has never really been a winning player on a winning team, though, so I do have a couple of question marks there. And then you've always got the Ric Flair mentality of in order to be the champ, you've got to beat the champ. You've got yourself a team in the Milwaukee Bucks that I do feel like if they're able to get fully healthy, they're going to be able to cause for some big moves out there in the Eastern Conference. You've got Giannis Attended They will give the team 29.5 points per game, but the big key is where you will get around them. And I do think that Bobby Portis and all that he's been able to do is going to be able to help this team out immensely. you got a Bucks team that, Overall, as a collective, they're shooting about 36% from three-point range, which is relatively solid. As long as you're able to have guys like Dante DiVincenzo be able to stay healthy because they actually wound up making their postseason run without them last season, I do think that that's going to be very helpful. If I'm looking anywhere right now with regards to the Eastern Conference, it certainly would be at the Miami Heat. I think that at plus 475, with them being, if the season wound up wrapping up today, their number one overall seed. I think that that is something that is just relatively good. And when it comes to the Nets, the 76ers, I do think that the 76ers are going to be able to have a little bit of a better run of things than the Nets. So I do think that's intriguing the way that the Eastern Conference odds board is looking after what we wound up seeing in the trade deadline. What we've got to be taking a look at with regards to futures is the NFL. Sean Green, he does a terrific job of that. He's going to be joining me to take a look at that next right here on The Lookout on v the Esports Bank Network.
0: on the Sports Betting Network.
1: It is a look at right here on v the Sports Betting Network. It is great to be joined by our guests as we head out there to the great city of Los Angeles, California. That's where we find Sean Green. He is the host of the Sports Bet Gambling Podcast Network. You're able to catch that wherever you find all things podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, what have you. And Sean I know that you are a man that has a great affinity for the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll dive into that in a second. And thank you so much for joining me.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Craig. Appreciate it. Always, uh, always love uh, hanging out in the circuit, even uh, virtually as is the case here. But uh, yeah, always love hanging
1: on the show and uh, talking, talking to NFL futures. I always love it as well. And I love the fact that you're a man that you keep up with the teams out there in the state of Pennsylvania. And ironically enough, both of these teams have relatively similar odds. Now it's going to vary a little bit based on the book, but you're right now finding the Eagles, along with the Pittsburgh Steelers, both hovering right around 40 to one, give or take a little bit. What are your take on both of the teams out there in the state of Pennsylvania? Because I know that you're able to make a little bit more of a case for one rather than the other.
2: Yeah, so I mean, uh, why why don't we start with the Steelers? Because I'm sure everyone's just gonna accuse me of being a homer uh, when we talk the Eagles' futures. But my case for the Steelers' future at forty to one. First off, let's look at the defensive side of the ball. You have T.J. Watt. Yes, great. You also they're bringing in Brian Flores just to coach the linebackers alone. So you're giving a very good defensive mind to already great defensive player in T.J. Watt. Uh, I I think their defense is pretty solid. And let's be honest, this, this Steelers team had a lot of potential. And I mean, again, Ben Roethlisberger didn't pass the eye test. So when we look at these NFL futures for me, I like to try and find teams where you can see a massive improvement at the quarterback position, as we saw with the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, a lot of times it either happens from a quarterback going from year one to year two, as it happened, it, you know, as the, was the case with Joe Burrow, or a lot of times it's bringing in a, a free agent quarterback. Um, And and I think the Steelers quietly are in a pretty good spot. And and if you recall when they brought in uh, Ben Roethlisberger all the way uh, back then, you know, almost like what, 15 years ago, they had a very good year that year as well. So I think if they draft even like a Kenny Pickett, or I think they're a dark horse for some of these other big free agent names, whether it be a Russell Wilson, um, you know, maybe even a Jimmy Garoppolo, someone that could either give you that similar level of quarterback player, even slightly increase what you had with Ben Roethlisberger, and then all of a sudden you're sitting at a forty to one future that's looking pretty good.
1: Yeah, I do think that it's going to be really intriguing to take a look at the Sealers because it's a team that. I just feel like as long as Mike Tomlin is there, he will not let this team go below 500. That is for sure. We wound up seeing it this season. Uh, I think that it's very important to be taking a look at free agency in general. And when it comes to NFL futures in general, how much do you advise? people to take a look at what we're going to be getting in the NFL draft, what we're going to get, be getting in free agency, because I know that there's a lot of people that they're dying for football. I'm here to tell you right now, there are other things about on you're able to bet on <laughs> things like college basketball. College I'm able basketball. to help out with that aspect. You've got the NHL, what have you, but when it comes to futures market, we know that timing is very big. What would you advise for this? Because there are some futures that you probably do want to be taking right away. If you have an implication, inc- meanwhile, there are others that you probably want to be taking just before the season.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, and some of these futures, the way they're priced, for instance, the the Denver Broncos, they're kind of splitting the difference um, on their Super Bowl future because they're they're kind of pricing in the odds of hey, uh, we think there's like a chance that Aaron Rodgers goes there, so we'll let you bet the Broncos, but we're not going to give you a, an amazing price on it. So again, if you so I would just kind of stay away from from bets like that where it's you're you're kind of splitting the difference again. I like the mid range to long shot stuff. Um, and again, I would kind of hesitate on, on loading up on some of these favorites, especially especially right now. Like of these favorites, to me, the the most appealing is the Buffalo Bills at plus seven fifty, um, just because the consistency, everything we we know with the Buffalo Bills. And I, I think they're just a well-rounded team, but the Rams certainly there's a decent number of questions there. I mean, they clearly kind of went all in there. No Odell Beckham. I I do think that hurts them a little bit. They'll get Cooper cut back, but at 12 to one, that's not certainly appealing. And are you really going to bet the green Bay Packers at 14 to one? I I mean, you would hate to bet the Packers at 14 to one, and then you get stuck with uh, Jordan love there at, at 14 to one. No one wants any part of that. And even, even next up with the Cowboys, uh, the Cowboys had a very good season as much as it pains me to say that, but they kind of fell apart in the playoffs there. And, and what we've seen, if you're a big uh, analytics guy, we've seen that these defenses and the defense really was kind of what carried the Cowboys team. It's tough to get those back to back years. They relied on digs, getting those interception numbers. That's really going to be tough to get year after year. So 14 one, that's a stay away. And then you got the 49ers again, Trey At fourteen to one, no, thank you. I I think there's just way too much, um, way too many questions up up in the air. And even look look at the Buccaneers. You know, one year removed from the Tom Brady Super Bowl, right now Kyle Trask is their starting quarterback. I don't want any part of that at twenty-two to one. And and the price at twenty-two to one, that to me is like they're already assuming. Um, that it's going to be someone else besides Kyle Trask. So I would, I would wait on a lot of these favorites and look to some of the, some of the dogs, like if the Steelers end up getting a really good draft pick or if, um, you know, even my Eagles, You could make a case for them at 40 to 1 because maybe Jalen Hurts gets that nice uh, leap from year one to year two, as we've seen with quarterbacks. And then all the free agent rumblings or trade rumblings about the Eagles getting a big name quarterback, if Russell Wilson uh, or somehow they got Aaron Rodgers or even Deshaun Watson, uh, you'll be pretty happy that you had a 40 to 1 because that's going to drop all the way down to 25 to 1.
1: And I do think that that's a big thing of it as well gauging where these free agents are going to be going because as we know the crop of quarterbacks in this draft it's just not there and we've never seen a rookie quarterback be able to win a super bowl anyway so you're able to relatively rule those out and with having a little bit of a let's call it barren class of quarterbacks that means that more and more of these teams that they need a quarterback they're going to be looking to Try to trade for a Jimmy Garoppolo. If there's anyone out there on the market, they're certainly going to be trying to take a little bit of a look at that. And we're just hearing all sorts of crazy rumors right now. I still remember my mom sent me a text a week ago. She said, Aaron Rodgers is going to be going, but we're going to be getting Russell Wilson. I tell you right now, my mom has no inside information whatsoever. I think that she wanted typing something into like the Google machine. And it's like, oh wow, there's this, which That just brought a big giant laugh to me because we know that that's not going to be happening. But (laughs) with that said, I do think that it is very important to be taking a look at this. And when it comes to futures market right now, for lack of a better term, you are taking sort of blind stabs at it.
2: Yeah. And, 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 you know, they just flashed the uh, next odds for Russell Wilson and you know, the bucks were listed high up there at at 12 to one. So again wouldn't you rather just take russell wilson goes to the bucks at 12 to 1 and ride that instead of the, the bucks super bowl at 22 to 1 because again that 22 to 1 price is already factoring in that they get a guy like russell wilson that they would get maybe somehow get aaron rodgers again if kyle trask is the starting quarterback for the Tampa Bay Bucks, come opening day, the price is not going to be twenty two to one. It's going to be like sixty to one. Um, and, and same with the same with the Packers' future, right? It, you know, wouldn't you rather just take Aaron Rodgers minus two fifty to still be with the Packers than to take that fourteen to one and end up with uh, Jordan Love? I mean, again, the, it's price completely different, but I think some of these super bowl futures, they're, they're kind of splitting the difference. And I would rather just, you know, take some of these fun, long shots that have a better chance of increasing the odds. And then, you know, maybe you don't end up riding it all the way to the super bowl. Maybe a hedge out on like a prop swap or whatever. Um, But again, like, like you said with Tom, like the infrastructure there, they have a very good team. They have a very good defense. They have tons of skilled players around them. It's a very plug and play team. Uh, the other one that we haven't gotten to. I, I do think the Titans at 22 to one are pretty interesting uh, simply because of, of what a mess the division is right now. Maybe you're a Colts believer, but the Colts don't, again, don't believe in their quarterback, uh, Carson Wentz. They've there's a ton of smoke about them moving on. The Titans have a lot of uh, consistency there at the positions of, you know, uh, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Henry. I, I do think uh, Vrabel Rabel is a solid coach. And again, you're you're in a pretty soft division. So for them to just win that division, get in the playoffs and you're sitting at 22 to one. I, I don't mind that one at all.
1: Yeah. I think that it's going to be really intriguing to take a look at the Tennessee Titans as well, because even without Derek Henry, they were still able to do a solid job and we've got about 30 seconds left. I know that you're a Rutgers fan. What is your outlook for Rutgers when they wind up facing off against Michigan on Wednesday?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, give me plus a uh, five and a half. Give me the Rutger Rutgers and the points. I like fading the Juwan Howard noise and, mm-hmm. and Rutgers has quietly just been a, a pretty solid team. Even on the road, you know, you look at them on the season, they're only 13 and 13 against the spread, but especially recently six and zero against the spread in their last six. And uh, they're just playing good basketball right now. I, I think they're going to be competitive. And I think it might take Michigan a little bit to figure out you know, figure out the team without Jawan Howard. So I, uh, I, I like them get, getting the points there tomorrow.
1: I agree with you, Sean. Great stuff as always. Thank you so much. And coming up next, we will be looking more at the college basketball board right here on VEASAN, the Sports Bank Network. This is The Look Ahead on v the sports betting network. Hit the court for your cut of cash with the FX Snowfall Kingpin Challenge. Play for free in two fantasy hoop contests and battle for your share of $15,000 in total cash prizes while the fight for LA rages on. In Season 5 of FX's Snowfall, head over to DraftKings.com slash Snowfall. Now to get in on the action. Snowfall returns February 23rd on FX stream on Hulu terms and conditions and other Rel- eligibility restrictions do apply. See DriveKings.com for details as is a look at with myself, Greg East and a big thanks to Sean Green. Does absolutely terrific work over there at the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. He joined me in the last segment. And big thanks to all the guys behind the scene who made it happen with both the interview with he, along with the interview that we wound up having with Pam Maldonado in the first hour. Gotta give massive props to my man Jason Kahn. Does a great job of being able to set up all these interviews. Does a great job of keeping me in line as well. You've got our wonderful technical produce. You've got our Wonderful PA in Oliver doing terrific work. You've also got Taylor on audio. He does absolutely terrific work. And then you've got Nick. He does a terrific job as the technical director of the show. All of these gentlemen, they do absolutely amazing work. They are the reason why you get the shows that you wind up getting right here on VSIN. They are the best in the business. And they are also the reasons why you are seeing and hearing me right now. So now it's time for me to be able to hold up my end of the bargain. We're going to be taking a look at some college basketball, trying to pick you guys some winners here for this Wednesday. As How about if we wind up going with a little bit more ACC flair in this segment? How about if we wind up going with a big rematch to be able to lead off with that as well? As we go 699-700 on the betting board, you've got Duke. They're going to be playing against Virginia. Virginia finds themselves a home underdog between 4.5 and, and 5 points throughout this game. Going to be getting it anywhere between 129.5 and, and 130. And... When it comes to this Duke team, I do think that they're going to be able to avoid losing outright once again. I just do not see them getting swept in the season series against Virginia. That said, I wound up setting my line more round four. We've been able to see Virginia start to come a little bit more to the forefront. Tony Bennett is just a mastermind of a coach, and I think that he's doing a relatively solid job of being able to get this Virginia team back into some sort of form as You wind up seeing them have a spirited effort over the weekend against Miami. I mentioned it a little bit earlier when they wound up heading to Cameron Indoor. They were able to hit that three late to be able to get that win. And when it comes to Duke, in that game against Virginia, they wound up having 15 turnovers. And it's very unlike Duke. This has been a team that has ranked in the top 20 with regards to I guess you got fewest turnovers on a per possession basis. You got a Virginia team that they've been struggling with their three-point shot. They only shoot right around 32.5% from three-point range, but what has been able to help this team out is just being able to get some interesting contributions out. There. you got a guy in Jaden Gardner. He's been able to do a solid job with right around 14 points, 7 rebounds per game. But you've got other guys that will be able to contribute as well because you're expecting a lot out of Armand Franklin, a guy that winds coming in from Indiana. Last year I was at, while he was at Indiana, was able to shoot from 3-point range, 40-plus percent. He's only been able to shoot about 26% from distance and has actually been worse at home than he has been on the road which is why it is so much more important that you've been able to have someone like a... someone like a Caden Shedrick be able to come through. He's been able to give the team two and a half blocks per game, so he'll be able to do a solid job down low. You do have a pair of guys in Reese Beekman along with key. Clark Clark will be able to do out the ball as well. They combine for nine assists to right around 3.2 turnovers per game. Not that these guys are necessarily prolific scorers, but both shoot at least 80%. The free-throw line as collective Virginia. They do shoot 74.5% at the Charity Stripe. Now, this is not the defense that they have been in past years. They're a team that they play really, really sinking slow. They are dead last in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per game, but it is a team that they rank well outside the top 100 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. This is actually a Duke team that I'm not going to call them like any sort of a juggernaut on defense, but they've been able to do a solid job. They rank 34th in the country with regards guards points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they really don't experience a fall-off when they go home to road as well. You do have Paulo Boncaro. They would do a terrific job, 17.5 points, right around 7.5 boards per game. But the one trepidation that I do have with this Duke team is that Wendell Moore, ever since the turn of the new year, hasn't necessarily been himself. In the months of November and December, was averaging right around 17 points per game, shooting over 40% from three-point range, was really lighting it up for this team. And now, during the calendar year of 2022, has been averaging more like 10.5 to 11 points per game. So that is a little bit of an issue for this Duke team. Now, what I will say about Duke is that A.J. Griffin has been one of the best three-point shooters in true road games that we have really ever seen. In true road games, A.J. Griffin is averaging right around 15 points per game, and in his true road games, he's shooting 58.5% from three-point range. That is, I believe, the best mark among all qualifying players in all of college basketball with regards to road three-point shooting percentage. He has been amazing with that aspect. you have also got a guy in Jeremy Rochu, Has been a little bit pedestrian for this team this season, but has been a guy that has been able to do an okay job. I'll be able to give out a couple assists as well. I think that Virginia is going to be able to hold in this game. I think that they're going to give Duke a fight. I ultimately do think that Duke is going to be able to get the job done, but I do think that Virginia, a team that with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, is giving up more than 10 points fewer per 100 at home than on the road. is going to be able to do a good job of holding up on their home floor I'm going to be taking a look at an under as I want to say my total at 127 with Duke I was only willing to lay up to four with them. So, seeing the four and a halfs and the fives out there, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Virginia. Don't necessarily want them outright as we've got another big game that's going to be going out there in the ACC. I would say that if you're going to be seeing another team be able to make the NCAA tournament from the ACC that is not named Duke and for that matter, Miami as well. It is going to be Wake Forest as this is 709, 710 on the betting board. Wake Forest, they're on the road facing off against Clemson, and Wake Forest is finding themselves a two and a half point favorite total on this game, in between 144.5 and 145.5. And when it comes to this Wake Forest team, it's been really intriguing to take a look at them. Jake Lariva, I think, is one of the more underrated players in all of college basketball. Six foot eight transfer from Indiana State, is able to shoot over 40% from three point range, gives you 14 points right around five to six boards per game has really been a good glue guy for the team, And they're going to be going up against the Clemson team. Who, on offense, they've actually been relatively solid. They should have a collective about 38% from three-point range. When it comes to this Clemson defense, they have been a team that has been very hit or miss with regards to what we've been seeing. They're actually halfway decent on the glass. They're in the top one with regards to rebound rate. And as and has been able to do some nice things, David Collins, he has been able to do a good job, giving you a little bit over seven rebounds per game when He's not winding up trucking players from Duke that are going in for slam dunks. He has been able to do a solid job there. But when it comes to this Clemson team, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, this is a team that they do rank well outside the top 200 with that regard. Matter of fact, 227th. Wake Forest is not necessarily, I would call it some sort of a juggernaut on defense either, but with this Wake Forest team, they do rank at the top 65 with that aspect as well. Wake Forest does have a true seven-footer in Dallas. Walton, who's going to be able to do a good job, will be able to hold up on the glass now with Clemson. P.J. Hall has been able to do a nice job, 15 and a half points per game. He's the only out of their top five scorers that shoot below 36% from three-point range. But when it comes to this Clemson team as well, I do think it's going to be a little bit of an issue, not necessarily having a lot of guys that are able to come in off the bench or are able to give this team some good production out there in the backcourt. Meanwhile, for Wake Forest, Alondes Williams leads the team in points, rebounds, and assists. Right around 20 points, 6 boards, 4 assists per game. The big issue with Williams has been his turnovers. Right around 3.5 turnovers per game. A lot of that is because he just has the ball in his hands so much. So he is a little bit more prone to be making some of those mistakes. But Clemson is not a team that necessarily does a great job of being able to force these turnovers. you got to wait for a scene that they're able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range. I think that they're going to be able to hit enough threes to be able to get the job done in the spot. I do think that because Clemson is a very slow team outside the top 250 with regards to possessions per game, you're going to see a little bit of a lower scoring game in this one. I did mind setting my total at a 141, but with Wake Forest, made them a three-point favorite. So I'm looking to lay the points, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under as well when it comes to the ACC as well. I do think that the Notre Dame versus Syracuse game is an intriguing one. This is game number 665-666 on the bank board. You're finding Syracuse as a little bit of an underdog here. You're going to be finding Syracuse anywhere in the neighborhood of about a five to five and a half point dog. And you drawing this game, getting it at a 146. I want to saying Notre Dame as a four and a half point favorite. Nate Lashevsky is a six foot ten gentleman for Notre Dame who has been able to shoot it relatively well from three point range, right around 44 to 45%. He's been missing the last two games with an illness. He is questionable for this game. And with Syracuse, you have seen this team just go with the five man rotation. And part of that five man rotation is out of the fold in Jesse Edwards. That means that you're going to see a lot of Frank Anselm. Anselm wound up in the game that he wound up having to fill in against Georgia Tech. Didn't do a lot with regards to offense, but he is a good, true rebounder, and that's going to be very big against a Notre Dame team that they're not necessarily great on the glass. And when it comes to this Notre Dame bunch, you just haven't been able to get any defense out of this team whatsoever. And for that matter, out of both Syracuse and Notre Dame, you've been able to get no defense whatsoever out of either of these teams. As Notre Dame. With regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, it has been relatively bad for the team at 165th. You've got a Syracuse team that they are in that same fold as well, more like two hundred and forty eight. So I did wind up saying. my total at one forty six half. I'm looking at the over and in the final hour. I'm going to be giving you guys my side on this one as when it comes to the final hour of the look at, we're going to be diving into a whole lot of college basketball, so no shortage of trips to the window are going to be had on this Wednesday. That's coming events right here on Beaston Esports eSports you Network.
0: If you dare.